Uh, good morning, everybody. We're going to start today with the word of Jesus, uh, the words of Jesus from Matthew's gospel, a familiar passage that some of you, I'm sure, have heard. Uh, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Today we are going to take a trip, at least in our mind's eye, to the junkyard. Everything in a junkyard was once an object of great value. Think about it. There was a day when it was bright, it was shiny, it was new. And somebody said, you know what, I want that. I'll pay money for that. And then somehow a moth got it, or rust got it, or thief got it, or it got old and it ended up in a junkyard. Nobody, nobody wants it now. You see, that's the way it is with our stuff. Stuff is that way. Everything we have, all the stuff we have, is going to end up in a junkyard or a trash heap or a closet somewhere. We are just the middlemen and middlewomen of our treasure. The only difference between the merchandise in a junkyard and the merchandise in Kohl's or Best Buy or BMW is just time. Treasure is time waiting to happen. It's just treasure is junk waiting to happen. Here's the formula for you. Junk equals treasure plus time. That's it. I saw an ad for a really, really, really expensive watch not long ago, and it actually says this. It says, you never actually own this brand of watch. You merely look after it for the next generation. The platinum version of this watch sells for $1.2 million. But think about it. Maybe centuries from now, that watch will end up in a junkyard, a trash heap somewhere. A guy by the name of Roy Goble, he's a Christ follower. He used to be a big-time junkyard a businessman. He's written a book called Junkyard Wisdom, and it's about how followers of Jesus can deal with wealth and with treasure. His family was in that business for a long time. He tells some amazing stories in this book about people looking for treasure in a junkyard. His uncle, who was a junkyard guy, told about a guy who uh, actually, uh, he bought a junk car for $50, and he found a Stradivarius violin in the trunk. And Roy talks about in the story how he may not quite believe the guy, but he gets to the point. He says, we are treasure-loving, treasure-hunting people. Another guy walked into his office one day and told Roy's dad, he said, I've got this old junk car outside. Would you like to buy it? Roy's dad was kind of busy. He said, yeah, I'll buy it, whatever. He gave the guy a few hundred dollars. And eventually, later in that day, Roy's dad told one of the guys in the shop to go out, take the car around back. So he did, nothing happened. The guy just figured the battery was dead. It really wasn't a problem because most of these guys buy the cars for the parts that they can sell off of them. So the guy lifts the engine, he's gonna jump the battery, 
And when he does, he looks in and the entire engine is gone from the car. The guy had actually stolen his own engine before he sold it to the guy at the junkyard. You see, junk is just treasure plus time. That beautiful car eventually will go to the junkyard. That watch, that table, that, those clothes that you're wearing. Someone told me now that they actually have sub-zero refrigerators you can buy. Sub-zero refrigerators. It's just junk waiting to happen. One consumer advocate doing a review said sub-zero is actually the IQ of a person who would spend that much money on a refrigerator. <laughs> and if you have one, I'm not talking about you, just so we're clear. <laughs> now I bring this up because we're learning in this series about what the resurrection and the resurrected life looks like in the kingdom of God. We're studying the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And at one point in it, he addresses the need for every human being to find wisdom when it comes to treasure and treasuring. Jesus starts with these words. He says, listen, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. This is a very interesting comment by Jesus because there are some religious traditions, there are some religions that actually say that our problem as human beings primarily is our desires, that we get attached to things too easily. And so these particular religions believe that that leads to suffering. So we have to learn how not to desire anything at all. And actually the good life, the road to the good life, is actually eliminating all of desires. I want you to know that Jesus doesn't really say that in these verses. He doesn't say you shouldn't have treasures. People sometimes misunderstand Christianity as being anti-treasure, but Jesus understands that's not the case. Jesus' claim is everybody has treasures. And by their nature, human beings are treasuring creatures. God made us that way. A treasure is something you seek to keep because of the value you place on it. I want you to think about these little kids we just saw dedicated. Tiny little children will treasure a stuffed animal or some ratty old blanket with holes in it. And it's like their little souls get wrapped around it. It doesn't even have to be financially valuable. Have you ever noticed how kids get attached to a certain treasure? When I was uh, just a, a kid, my parents got me for Christmas one year a Batman costume. And from that full point forward, I literally would wear that costume everywhere I went. I wore it to bed. I wore it to play in. I wore it to the grocery store. I loved that costume. And eventually one day, my mom said to me, she said, Phil, you're going to have to stop wearing that costume out in public. And she became quite adamant about it. And I said, Mom, I don't understand. I want to know why. Why can't I wear my costume anymore? And she said, well, I'm going to tell you. She said, for one thing, Phil, it looks awful. It's been faded after washing it so many times. It has holes uh, in the pants. For another thing, 33-year-old men don't typically wear Batman costumes. <laughs> Any of you have a woovy or something that you, as a kid, would hold on to? Of course you did. And nothing degrades a person, whether it be a child or an adult, more than to scorn their treasure. Listen, even somebody who is homeless, someone who is in prison, someone who has lived in a concentration camp, 
many of them will still have a letter or a photo or something that to them is a treasure. Some of you have lost loved ones and you literally have articles of clothing, maybe an old pair of tennis shoes that belong to them and you treasure those things. See, treasuring is what it means really to be a human being. There's a Greek word in this passage of Jesus' teaching for treasure. It's the word thesaurus. That's where we get our word, thesaurus. It's a treasure trove, a treasure store of words and meaning. Your lives are meant to be full of treasure. In fact, Jesus uses a variation of this word five times in the first few sentences of this text. So listen, friends, don't sit here today and feel badly about treasuring. God loves that capacity in us, just as we love it in our children, and He loves it when it is expressed freely. Jesus doesn't say, don't treasure anything. Jesus says, don't treasure the wrong thing. Don't wrap your eternal heart around earthly treasures. He says it's not because they're bad, it's because they won't last. He says if moths, listen, don't get them, rust will. And if rust doesn't get them, then thieves will. And if thieves don't get them, your greedy little kids will after you die. <laughs> Whatever it is, it is going to wear out, give out, burn out, rust out, run out. But eventually it's going to be out. And he says, but remember what is unseen, beginning with God and God's will, that is his kingdom. He says, that stuff is what you treasure. Physical stuff is not treasure until it is treasured by a person. Until a treasurer treasures something, it's not treasure. Everybody in this room, including me, we have treasures. And everybody has to find a treasure strategy. I don't know if you follow the stock market very much, but there are people in our day that are called market timers. And what they do is they watch the stock market for signs that the stock market is going to drop. And they reinvest what they have where it's going to be safe. IBM, you know, Big Blue, got first listed on the New York Stock Exchange in 1915. I have a question. Just, just kind of guess here, a little trivia question. If you had acquired one share of stock in IBM on that day in 1915, how much would you be worth today if you had bought just one share? Just kind of turn and take a guess. Tell somebody next to you what you think that share would be worth in 2018. I know this is a financially literate church. Some of you are really good with finances. But I'm going to tell you the correct answer. The correct answer, we'll see how many of you got close. If you brought one share of IBM stock in 1915, you would be dead, so it would be worth nothing. <laughs> right? Right? Now, we forget this, but Jesus doesn't forget it's always interesting to me about the stock market. I have friends now who've got into this cryptocurrency thing. You know, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, etc. And they bought it, many of them. In fact, I know a guy who bought it when it was really, really low, got a great price, and it has soared to the point that at one point it was worth almost $20,000 per Bitcoin. 
And I would see this guy from time to time, and he was on top of the world. He was planning ways he was going to spend this money and blah, blah, blah. This past week I checked, and the value of Bitcoin is now down around 8000 I saw him about two weeks ago, and he's kind of put his plans on hold for a while. Here's what you need to know. Jesus says there are literally only two markets that you can invest in. Two. He said one is called the temporal and the other is the eternal. It is either temporal or eternal. Jesus is very bearish on the earthly temporal market. But he is extremely bullish on the eternal heavenly market. Even the writer of Proverbs, long before Jesus was here, he says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Someone kind of interpreted that proverb a little bit later. There's a poem that's kind of floating around out there. It's called Money Talks. It simply says, that money talks, I'll not deny. I heard it once, it said goodbye. So Jesus is pro-treasure, but he's also pro-investment. He says, but don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now in the Judeo-Christian faith, the most important command that we have is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, we teach that you're to treasure God above everything else. Love Him, worship Him, think about Him, delight in Him, adore Him. Thank Him, serve Him, celebrate Him, be surrendered to His will, be grateful for His gifts, you know, be directed toward His purpose, be secure in His love. We just teach this, you can't treasure God enough. And any strategy for investing that involves around storing up earthly treasures, Jesus says that's not a good investment. Let me give you this analogy which helped me. Imagine that you check into a hotel room at Motel 6. You look around and you're kind of not content with the room. So you go down to Bed Bath & Beyond and you buy some of the greatest towels for that bathroom. You then go over to an art store, an art gallery, and you buy some pretty expensive paintings for the walls. And then you go down to, to the sleep train store or to Mattress World and you get one of the world's greatest mattresses for the bed. And then you go to Best Buy and you get a widescreen, high-definition TV to go in the room. Now here's the thing. It's very rare that people spend huge amounts of money to redecorate their hotel room. Why? Because you're going to check out really soon. Are you with me? The number one rule in the hotel game is people check out eventually. Why would you invest huge, huge amounts of resources into something when you're simply going to check out in a few days? Jesus says, listen, I want you to understand stuff is okay, but stuff is vulnerable. It's going to wear out. So building your life around it is not worth it. Then he goes on and he says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, wherever your life's investment goes, then the center of your heart, your being, your soul, will end up in that exact same place. 
He says it's impossible to separate these two over time because life in the world apart from God is occupied always with increasing our standard of living. But he says life in the kingdom of God is primarily preoccupied with increasing our standard of giving. And in this world, we will be shaped by something. One of the questions that people have to ask themselves on a regular basis is this. Am I spending more on myself than I was a year ago? That's kind of the way we're tempted to measure success. It's like an old parable. I love this parable. It's attributed to the Danish philosopher Soren Kirchgaard. He says, thieves break in to steal in a jewelry shop. And they break into this jewelry shop, but instead of taking anything, all the thieves do is switch the price tags on the jewelry. The next day, the people come in, and literally no one knows the real value of anything anymore. People begin spending fortunes to acquire something that could be utterly worthless. Somebody has switched the price tags. This is exactly what happens when we trade our heart for treasure. Then Jesus comes to this passage, and I want to say a word about this because it's uh, just a brilliant insight by Jesus about human nature. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is kind of a metaphor, if you will, for perception. The ability to have clear insight and clear vision about your life. And the principle here that's kind of involved here is this. Your actions will flow out of your perceptions. What I mean by that is if you look at the poor in this world and you think about them as Jesus thought about them and you feel about them the way Jesus felt about them, then you will find yourself behaving toward them as Jesus behaved toward them. If your eye is good, then your body will be filled with light and you walk in the light. You'll do good things. You will do what Jesus did. But if your eye is bad, if you look through the lens of things like greed or cynicism or envy, then your body will be full of darkness. And believe me, you will find yourself doing envious, greedy things. And the idea here is to live well, I have to see clearly, I need to see things clearly, and I need to see people clearly. Here's what happens. Greed and consumerism and chronic discontent and a lack of generosity, what they do is they make me look at the world wrongly. Instead of looking at what I have so I can be grateful, instead of looking at people in need and think I need to be generous, instead of looking at God and being confident and secure that He's going to meet my needs, I look at what others have or what others do and I get envious or I get scared. Let me put it this way. Here's what Jesus is trying to say. How many of you, when you're driving down the road and you see a police car out of the corner of your eye, how many of you change the way you're driving? Come on, be honest. Half of you are lying. You know you do. What's the first thing you look at when you see a police officer? Speedometer. You automatically look down and see how fast you're going. If you see that you're going too fast, how many of you are smart enough to slow down? 
I asked a police officer one time, I said, listen, is it really true that when you're speeding like that and, and you see a police officer, is it really true that you should just keep going? Otherwise, they're going to know that you're speeding. And he goes, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> he said, of course you should slow down. So let's decide here, okay, a little scenario together. Let's suppose that the Lakeland Police Department assigned an officer, one officer, to shadow you all day long, every time you get in your car. This officer's sole job, sole job is to drive along next to you the entire day. How many of you would say that your driving patterns would be a little bit different if you had a police car next to you every moment of your driving experience? Yeah, of course. See, one of the things that Jesus teaches is that God is always with us. He's always present. And the question is, do I believe that enough that he's really present and he's really watching and he's really a part of my life? Now, at one level, we do. We say it, we affirm it, we, you know, we say yes to that. But there is another level of us when I don't yet fully trust that God is really with me. And I'm going to tell you how I know this. I know this in my life because of the way I behave. My behavior indicates that there are times, at least moments, when I don't yet view the world through the lens that tells me that God is always with me. Because if I did, listen, then my life would look different than it does sometimes, right? This is why we talk about growing in faith as a community. To grow in faith does not mean that I affirm the right beliefs and I can argue them with someone. It means to begin to look at the world and see it and then to think about reflexively the same way that Jesus would think about the world. Does that make sense? When you do that, then you begin to live the way that Jesus lived and then it just begins to flow out of you. This is one of the reasons why Jesus taught so much about money and treasure. Because he knew that money, that treasure, that stuff had this crazy way of revealing to us what it really is we trust in. If you really want to know what somebody trusts in, the worst question you can ask them is, what do you believe in? The best way is to follow them around and look at their life. And if you look at their life over time, I promise you, you can discern exactly what it is they trust in. Treasure, Jesus says, is a wonderful diagnostic gauge. And this leads us to verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one, love the other, be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or wealth. So here's what happens. Jesus says every day that we live, every day that we get up and take a breath, every morning... He says, God longs to be your God. But there's this other God that longs to be your God too called mammon or money. And every day you get up and there's this wonderful little phrase that someone has come up with to say, here's my chance. Every day there's a chance to show money that money is not going to be your God. Money, you will not be my master. You will not take first place in my life. There's nothing wrong with you. We all need money to live. 
But I have to make an intentional decision every day to say, God, you will be my God, or mammon, you will be my God. And people who know God, listen, people who love God, people who have a chance to use their stuff to make a difference for God, it's kind of interesting. We all become kind of passive about this. I have never met anybody who says, I love being a greedy, envious, hoarding person. Never met anybody. Everybody in this room, if I lined you up, I think everybody here would say, I want to be a generous person. I do not want to be a slave to stuff. There's not one person in this room, I really believe this, that is deliberately on that road. But here's the danger. Just because I have compassionate feelings, just because I can watch something and be moved to tears, I still have this crazy ability to delude myself into thinking that I'm a generous person when I haven't done one thing about it. That was pretty tough, wasn't it? (laughs) So let me say it like this. Phil can see a clip of somebody building a house for Habitat for Humanity. I can even picture myself, and believe me, me as a carpenter is not a picture that happens often. And I can picture myself working right alongside those men and women. I can say I am in favor of that, and I can say I must be a generous guy. Phil can look at a picture of a hungry child, and I can feel sad and maybe even cry tears. And I can think to myself, well, thank God I'm not as callous as some people are. I must be a compassionate guy. Listen, I can read about the extravagant lifestyles of billionaires, and I can think, that is so absurd. I saw a guy, uh, I read about a guy who actually collects now miniature giraffes. No, I don't mean like fake giraffes. I mean little giraffes. I didn't even know there were some things like that. He has a whole collection of them. And I think to myself, that is so silly. I don't approve of that. Man, if I were rich, I'd be generous. Now, here's the deal. I'm not rich. I need most of what I have for myself. But if I were rich, I'd be a generous guy. What Jesus is trying to say is, listen, not a single person in this world drifts into a life of compassion and generosity. Nobody will get up one day and say, wow, I did it. I defeated the monster of more and more and more. What Jesus is saying is, listen, don't listen to my stories and my parables and my sayings and say to yourself, yeah, I think that's right, Jesus. You go, Jesus. Yeah, what you say is true, Jesus. And then deceive yourself into thinking that you don't have to do anything about it. He says, you have a little time on this earth, a little window of opportunity. And if people who aren't even honest, listen, if people who are not even honest about their wealth, they're, they're still energetic and creative and they still can pile up stuff, mountains of stuff. He says, if they can do that, how much more creative and energetic should we be about mastering the God of mammon? This is from a guy by the name of Richard Foster. He talks about this. He said, not long ago, we had a swing set. He said, I'm not talking about one of those store-bought aluminum things. He said, this was a real custom job. Steel pipes, all that. He said, but our children soon outgrew the swing sets. So we decided, my wife and I, it would be good to sell it in a garage sale. 
And my decision was, what kind of price do I put on this thing? So I went to the backyard and I looked it over. I thought, this should bring a good price. I thought to myself, in fact, if I touched the paint just a bit, I could up the ante a little bit. If I fix the seat on the glider, I may be even to charge even more. Now notice, these were the things he didn't do for his kids when they were playing on the swing. <laughs> but when it was time to start selling the swing, he says, I could bring in more money. Foster says, all of a sudden I began to monitor a spirit of covetousness and greed within me. And I became aware of how really dangerous it was spiritually. I went into the house and rather tentatively asked my wife, Carolyn, if she would mind if we gave the swing set away rather than selling it. Not at all, she said. I thought to myself, rats. <laughs> but before the day was out, we found a couple with young children who could make good use of it. We gave it to them, and I didn't even have to paint it. Now listen to this line, listen. The simple act of giving crucified the greed that had gripped my heart and the power of money was broken for the time being. Here's what I can tell you. The powers that energize money cannot withstand the unnatural act of giving. I'm going to say that again. The power and the powers that energize money and mammon cannot withstand the most unnatural act of all, and that is giving. We'll close with this. Many, many years ago, Robin and I were in an antique shop up in Dade City. If you know where Dade City is, kind of north of here. We were there with her mother and our oldest daughter, Sabrina, who was just a toddler at the time, before even preschool or, or excuse me, kindergarten. And everywhere you looked in this antique store, there were signs warning people to be careful handling the antiques. Sti uh, signs that said stuff like, if you break it, you bought it. Or your kids are precious, but our antiques are priceless. <laughs> Watch your kids. <laughs> well, I was looking at after Sabrina as Robin and her mom were kind of shopping around the store. And I noticed that the manager, the owner of the store, kind of kept eyeballing me. Finally, I guess she got concerned to the point that she came over to me. She says, sir, she says, you might want to pick up your daughter and actually hold her in your arms because I've seen accidents happen here in a matter of seconds. I would hate for you to have to pay for one of these broken items. You know me, I assured her, I said, Sabrina's a great kid. She understands, don't touch anything. And the manager got a little irritated and she kind of walked off and she just kind of said to me, okay, well, don't say you weren't warned. So a few minutes later, I'm flipping through some old books, some old antique books, and I hear this deafening crash. And I whipped around, and I didn't see Sabrina anywhere around me. And I headed toward the no uh, noise, and I discovered the owner of that store picking up pieces of a broken antique dish. And I knew, I knew Sabrina had knocked something off the shelves. I was just waiting for this lady to blast me. And then she looked up at me and she just very sheepishly said, don't worry, it wasn't your little girl, it was my big rear end. <laughs> now I'm not going to lie, I got a lot of satisfaction out of that. <laughs> I've told that story a few times. 
Here's what I want you to understand. All day long, we walk through this great big world of ours, and it's filled with treasure. And that treasure is called people. There's an amazing statement in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. It says, for the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. See, here's what I want you to know is other gods in the ancient world used people. Only the God of the Bible treasures people. You are somebody's treasure. God is determined to treasure you so much so that he sent his son Jesus to live and to teach and then to extend grace to you through his life, death, and resurrection. And what I want you to know is that every human being has an invisible price tag. It is stamped with the image of God and it is worth the life of God's very son. And we live in the world, we live in a world, friends, who have switched the price tags. We have. See, life in the kingdom of God means treasuring people and using money, but life in the kingdom of earth means treasuring money and using people. And what I want you to know is that every human being you come in contact with needs to be treasured. We often think of treasuring things as like romantic love. Sometimes even in churches, people can feel like there's a message kind of subconsciously maybe, you know, married people get to be treasured, but single people don't get to be treasured. I want to say this as clearly as I can. God treasures you, He treasures you, He treasures you. Married, single, divorced, separated, rich, poor, black, white, atheist, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, gay, straight, young, old, happy, sad. The God of this universe treasures you. Then through Jesus, he commands us, as we're walking through this great big store, to treasure what he treasures. I'm going to say it again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stuff is temporary, and I'll say it again. Junk is simply treasure plus time. You say, what do I do then? I'm going to tell you what one family did. I was reading this week about a couple. Never in their life were they considered super wealthy. This guy worked a blue-collar job all of his life, all of his life, for the same company since he was 17 years old. In fact, he got a job by lying about his age when he was 17. He told him he was 18. They found out about it 15 years later, and he was such a good employee that they kept him for the rest of his life. Blue-collar job. She was a stay-at-home mom. And on their income, just his income alone, they recently figured up over the course of their life that they had actually given away over a million dollars to various causes and needs in the world, including their church. Now, here's how they started. And this is astounding to me. They said that more than 60 years ago, they decided to live by what they call the 10-10-80 principle. The idea was that they would take 10% of their income and they always gave it straight to God's work or what he treasures in the world. Some cause that's important. 
Then they would take the next 10% and they would pay themselves in their savings account. The first thing they did was create an emergency fund. After the emergency, emergency fund, they started preparing for retirement. After that, they used the next 80% to live on. <laughs> now, over time, this man and his wife began to live on way less than 80. And when they eventually died, the, the, the years leading up to their death, okay, they were actually living on 20% and they were giving away 80%. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, you got to wonder, this 10, 10, 80 thing, if I want to give more than 10%, can I? And the answer is yes. And you wonder, can I save more than 10%? And the answer would be yes. And you may wonder, can I spend more than 80%? And the answer would be no. That's why it's a 10, 10, 80 plan. See, when Jesus says store up treasure in heaven, he's not talking about some place we're going to go when we die. He's not talking about getting a big mansion one day. I hope you do. But he says the kingdom of heaven is right here, right now. He says all this stuff is going to end up in a junkyard some way. So you need to tell it where to go now. Let's pray. Father, we are going to be shaped by whatever we treasure. If we treasure money, we're going to be shaped by greed. If we treasure security, we're going to be shaped by fear. If we treasure approval, we're going to be shaped by our reputation. If we treasure success, we're going to be shaped by our achievements. And if we treasure physical appearance, we're going to be shaped by our vanity. If we treasure power, we're going to be shaped by arrogance. But, God, if we treasure you... And the things that matter to you, we are going to be shaped by love. So today, Father, we remind ourselves through the teaching of your Son that where our heart is, there our treasure will be also. And where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Will you help us to live this out, not to be moved by it, stirred by it, but to live it out in the kingdom, your kingdom. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.